What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Essential Eleven. As always, brought to you by Acton Academy, Acton Academy Placer, Apogee Strong, and our friends over at discoverpraxis.com. Check the link below and uh, jump on there for a potential scholarship to uh, Discover Praxis for your post-high school grads. Highly, highly recommend. Um, highly recommend you listen through this one as well, man. This uh, guest today is, is named Bo Hines. Uh, and this young man, I, I, to be honest, I'm not even sure how he got on my radar. I want to say maybe it was from Cam Haynes, but this is an exceptional young man. He uh, was a former college football player at uh, NC State, uh, transferred over to Yale, was a Yale Bulldog. Uh, he is currently a 26-year-old candidate for the United States House of Representatives as a Republican out in North Carolina. Um, ridiculously well-spoken, well-put-together driven character driven um just phenomenal young guy and he did a a fantastic job speaking with the young guys uh, of apogee strong so i think you're really going to enjoy this episode with mr bo hines there we go mr bo hines how are you sir i'm doing great how about yourself i am doing very well sir thank you for taking the time to uh to join us out here man it is a pleasure and an honor absolutely thanks for having me absolutely sir um so i just want to make sure that you've got context uh, for anything, everything. So if you got any questions that you can ask that, and then we're just going to dive into, uh, we're just going to dive into Bo Hines, man. And, and, uh, we're all big supporters. So, uh, awesome. we, this, you know, group of young men. So I live out here in, in Northern California. I've got schools, uh, that, that I own. And when I say schools, um, they are something very different than school as, as we know it. Um, we've got guys, you know, our young heroes are starting their own businesses. They're taking on apprenticeships, internships. They're taking on responsibility on campus. They're driving their own journey. Um, we're making superheroes, um, out of, out of young people. The young men that we have on here with us, uh, are committed to the Apogee program, which is 12 months. Tim Kennedy, if you're familiar with him, uh, is a buddy of mine. So Tim and I, uh, created this program to bring good men like yourself on and uh, every week get to mentor these young men who for 12 months they take on projects and challenges um, that other young men just are not taking on uh, to, to become the leaders that we need so desperately uh, sure. in this country, man. And so that's what these guys are committed to. So you've got a bunch of really solid young men um, and they'll have some questions for you as well. So. Easy That's people. awesome. Yeah, well, I'm man. excited. Yeah, it's the best. You guys will have to forgive me. I'm traveling today, and I'm at my in-laws, and we have dogs running around. So if you hear any barking, That's uh, awesome, we'll... man. No, no worries. Where, <laughs> where uh, in, are you still in NC right now, or are you somewhere else? I am, yeah. I'm in North Carolina. My uh, my in-laws live basically 45 minutes north of Charlotte, uh, okay. which is pretty far away from my district. Yeah. But a uh, little weekend trip. So Very right cool. now, uh, with the court process, I'm not sure how familiar everyone on this Zoom call is in politics, but in North Carolina, we have a very confusing redistricting process. And so right now I'm running for Congress, um, but we actually don't know where our district is exactly. Interesting. Uh, so we're waiting to find out. Um, now we have the general idea of where it's going to be, but the courts are battling with the state legislature to figure that out. So, Got it. Okay. So where um, is the, where's the general idea that general, the general area that you think it's going to be, where is that? I'm familiar so with So it should be Southeast of Raleigh. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with North Carolina geography either, but uh, Raleigh is basically the northeast part of the state. Yep. 
um, runs up close to the Virginia line. Yep. So we'll have the southern part of that running out towards the coast. Got it. Very cool, man. That's awesome. So I love I love what you're doing. I want to dive into kind of the X-Men origin story of Bo Hines a little bit, um, if you don't mind. And just kind of, you know, you growing up as a young man, who what was what was Bo like? We got a lot of guys on here that are, you know, 12, 13, up to 17, 18. Um, you know, what was Bo Hines like around 12, 13 years old? Give us a little of that trajectory. Yeah, well, I mean, I can say I was totally focused on sports. Uh, I was a football guy and I was trying to make my way. Um, I feel like, you know, around 12 or 13, I was very concerned about my height. I didn't think that I would end up being big enough to play big time collegiate athletics. Um, but, you know, everything comes to fruition. And ultimately, you know, I worked really hard at that craft. Um, I found myself at a great football program called Charlotte Christian High School, which is notorious for Stephen Curry going there, actually. That's right. Uh, so a California connection. but. Um, ended up playing there. I uh, had a good freshman campaign and I was hurt my sophomore year actually. Came back, had a great junior year and started to receive some scholarships that I could never have even dreamed of. Um, so when I was going through that process, I decided I wanted to stay close to home. Uh, I'm a mama's boy, so I wanted to be nearby and I decided to go to North Carolina State. And um, you know, when I got there, I worked really hard. I was a mid-year enrollee, which meaning I graduated high school early. Uh, went there in the spring. And, you know, I, I actually got there and I sat in a room and looked around and I ended up calling my dad later that afternoon. And I said, uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to play here, um, but at least I have a free, free education. So, um, you know, you just, I had to put my nose to the grindstone and figure it out. I wasn't the most athletic, uh, wasn't the most naturally gifted, but I did spend the most time in the facility working at the craft. So um, found my way onto the field somehow, a uh, miracle of God, and ended up playing really well. Um, I was a freshman All-American there. And uh, actually ended up being the first freshman All-American ever to transfer uh, after their freshman campaign. Oh, no kidding. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did not yeah. know that. So, and you transferred to, did you transfer to Yale? Was that, is that correct? I did, yep. Okay. Right. And so what was the, um, what was the impetus behind the transfer? Well, you know, I, faith is a huge part of my life. And um, I really felt like God was calling me in a different direction. I honestly didn't feel fulfilled uh, with my time in North Carolina State. I had achieved my wildest athletic dreams. You know, I never expected to play that early. Um, but I realized that, you know, that didn't totally fulfill me. And um, I knew God was calling me to be in a position of leadership. And I wanted a challenge outside of athletics, unlike anything that I've ever had before. Um, so I decided to transfer to Yale. And in my naive brain at the time, I felt like, you know, I would go up there and, and find, you know, intellectuals that they would challenge you in every capacity. But, you know, I kind of found myself in an echo chamber, which is something that I'll circle back to. Um, and talk about how important it is to expand, you know, your horizon, make sure that people around you are pushing you in different directions so that you can see the entire picture. Um, but, you know, I, I battled my way through. Uh, my beliefs did not align with many of those on that campus, but that's okay. And, you know, like scripture tells us, iron sharpens iron. And that's what happened to me there. It, you, and honestly, what I'll go back to is the fact that if you're going to accomplish anything in life, you have to make sure that you're principally grounded, uh, whatever that is. You know, and circling back to my childhood, you know, my, my parents grew up as farmers in rural Indiana um, with really not much opportunity. Uh, my dad was a chicken farmer. Mom was a hog farmer in different parts of the state. And um, my dad ended up getting a scholarship to play at Hanover University, play football there, uh, which is famous now because it's where Vice President Mike Pence went to school. Right. Um, but he ended up actually getting kicked out of school. He was not the most studious uh, he was not the most studious um, wide receiver on the football team. So he ended up leaving there uh, and he played in the CFL for a year, which is the Canadian football league. And then ended up playing in the NFL after that. 
Um, but when he was, I mean, during his time in the NFL, they didn't really make much money, right? So I think his entire uh, rookie season, he ended up making $28,000. Wow. He was on the active roster. So that was before the players bargaining agreement and things like that, that have led to these massive contracts that, you know, I grew up with and these kids see today. Yeah. A um, different deal. But he used that money to start a business. And um, that was a licensing apparel company, which brought him to North Carolina. And their niche was basically in the NASCAR community. So they built racing apparel for different drivers and they expanded very rapidly outside of that um, and started to make their own way in the business world. But uh, that company was very successful. So I was able to watch that evolve as a young man. And, um, you know, I learned a lot of things in that process as well. Any, was there ever any interest in going in to that, going into the family biz in that way? Is that something that ever was on your radar or no? There's those doggies. There you go. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Ever any interest on that? No, there was, but at the same time, I just felt like, you know, I, I was being called in a different direction yeah. and, um, you know, no one in my family had ever been politically active. We yeah. were always politically acute, politically involved. Um, you know, we kept, we kept up with the process and what was going on, but, um, you know, I wanted a different challenge. I wanted to do something that no one in my family could really help me do. Yeah. And oftentimes you'll find when you do that, it scares a lot of the people around you that love you, mm. um, because you really have to figure it out on your own. It doesn't matter you know, how much influence uh, you have in your family or, or in your inner circle. Um, when you go down a new road, you have to, you have to find your own path and find your own way. And that was really exciting for me. That's very cool. So talk about that. I, I like that. Cause I dealt with the same thing. I don't come out of a family of entrepreneurs and you know, I'm very much a purebred entrepreneur and, and it's, and I had, I just had to have my own, my own thing and multiple things. And so that I very much experienced the same thing. It was a, there was a lot of fear around that. Are you sure you want to give up the, you know, quote unquote security of, you know, the 401k and, and making sure that you're working for the same company for 30 years of your life. And you, you know, very much felt that same thing. What was it that you kind of went, okay, I, I've got to uh, go ahead and, and do this anyways, even if they're scared around there, I've got like, why, why did you have that inside you? What do you think that was that helped develop that for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just a motivation and passion to really do things for others. Yeah. You know, I, all of my accomplishments were not self-fulfilling. Um, you know, I got to look around and see the joy it brought to other people's faces that had contributed to that success. Yeah. And that's the joy that I really resonated with. Yeah. Um, and so I knew that, you know, being in a position of leadership in whatever capacity would allow me to do that. Um, but I didn't really know what that avenue looked like at the time. Yeah. So uh, when I made the jump to go to Yale, you know, I, I started to dip my toes uh, in the political system a little bit and interned on Capitol Hill and did different things like that. Um, but I really didn't have any connections there. So yeah. I was, I was trying to meet new people, uh, find different paths that I could take. And, um, I realized very quickly when I got up there that, you know, there's always this comfort feeling you have as a kid that adults know what's going on. Right. And, um, when I started working on Capitol Hill, um, in positions of power, I realized that, uh, really no one knows what's going on and that's a scary thing. Right. So, um, when you recognize that you want to do something to change it. And honestly, I was fed up with a lot of the stagnancy and complacency that I saw uh, um, in those positions of leadership in our country. I felt like most people were there uh, to go along, to get along. Yeah. And you know, they, they, they just wanted to hold their position and stay there forever. And that's not something that really resonated with me. So it was frustrating. And honestly, I had a fork in the road. You know, I, I kind of had to decide, you know, do I want to become a part of this cog in the machine? Right. Um, and do what these guys do, uh, or do I want to go back to a business world that I'm comfortable with? 
Um, or I can actually go in stick my nose in there and try to change something. Yeah. And that's ultimately, you know, the path that I chose, but it's a long and arduous one. It is indeed, but you're, you're aligning with some really solid folks too, right? I know we've had uh, Charlie Kirk, um, you know, we've had, had him on and, and some of our guys got to interview Charlie, um, for their, one of their projects, um, that they were taking on. And he's like, man, you guys got to come work for, for turning point. Um, so I know you've gotten to work with Charlie. Um, you know, my good friend, Ryan Mickler, uh, is connecting me with Madison. Um, yeah. you know, of course th that's out there with you. So who are some of those, who are some of those guys that you are excited to align with? Cause you think they're kind of getting that, you know, they're, they got the nose to the grindstone and they're, and they're pushing for change. Who are some of those guys you're connecting to? Yeah. I mean, Congressman Cawthorn is doing a fantastic job right yeah. now, not only expanding, you know, youth interest in, in politics, yeah. but also creating a new way for a different type of candidate. Um, and so obviously, you know, us both being young, both being energetic, yep. uh, we vibe really well together. We've been working together on, on this project that's known as a campaign. Yeah. Um, but we've had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I mean, there's, there's a plethora of patriots out there that are really fighting on behalf of the American people. I mean, Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene is doing a great job in Georgia. Um, but you just take a beating along the way, yeah. right? So what you see and how you see these people portrayed in the media is not remotely close to who they are as people. And I think that we can actually get to understand someone on a deeper level. Um, you can see who they are. You can see what they're like, where their heart is and actually what they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that I've really taken time um, to do throughout the course of the campaign is, is find people that I know uh, not only care about our country, but are dedicated to making change. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've tried to be very selective about even the endorsements that I will take um, for myself. You know, there's, there's a caucus in the house of representatives called the freedom caucus. Um, I feel like my values align closer to that caucus than anywhere else on yeah. Capitol Hill. So I've actually limited my endorsements. I will not accept an endorsement from anyone outside of the Freedom Caucus. Um, and that's, that's basically me kind of setting my path, uh, showing people who I am, what my ideological beliefs are. But I could go through, a, a, I mean, the entire list of people in that caucus and pull out, you know, 30 or 40 of those guys are doing a phenomenal job. That's awesome, man. And, and I appreciate that, whether you agree with another human being or not. A man that understands um, who, you know, and this is kind of where it goes to that whole like trust and admiration, right? It's, it's when you um, stand by the principles that you espouse and you will not budge from that, whether you agree with those founding principles or not, you've got to appreciate the integrity of that man to stand behind those principles that he espouses, right? And that's, um, and that's something that I think we see far too little of, you know, before you came on, we were having a conversation about um, Ryan Holiday. And one of the books these guys are reading is The Obstacle is the Way. And, and Ryan mm -hmm. grew up right around the corner from literally where I am now. And I love his books. I love his writings. One of the things we were talking about is there seems to be a disconnect between the, the writings of stoicism that he's espousing and kind of where he's standing on, on certain things from a political and, and health standpoint right now. There seems to be a little more panic. And so we were saying, do you, does that make you lose trust for the individual when there is a seeming disconnect, you know, on that. And I've got to imagine in the political arena, you're being, you know, whether pulled, pushed, um, you know, coerced, bribed. I mean, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs, but I imagine that you're being tested on a daily basis to just nudge outside of those ideologies sometimes. Right. Just uh, just a little bit outside of that. Right? No, you're exactly right. So and so how do you deal with that? You know, what is what does that look like for you? 
Yeah, and I think that goes back to what I touched on you know, briefly earlier is yeah. that you have to have a grounded ideology. You have to be grounded in your philosophy before you endeavor to do anything, yeah. right? I mean, as a politician, you have to sell yourself and you have to sell the values that you have and you have to sell ideas, which in business, at least you have a product to sell, right? But I mean, the same you have to have the same mindset regardless of what industry you're in because you're having to sell something to people. Um, and if you're not genuine... People are very intelligent. They see through that. Yeah. Right. So um, I always say to especially young people that are looking to get started in any industry, yep. um, make sure you know what you believe before you try to tell others what to believe. Yeah. Right. Um, make sure that you understand fundamentally, uh, at least in the industry you're going into, why you're doing what you're doing, because people are going to ask you and you have to be able to explain it to them in a very a cohesive and cognitive manner. Right. I think that's the, the hardest question a lot of politicians receive is why are you running? Yep. Right. Um, and you'll you'll I mean, it's laughable how many people will stumble around that question, because honestly, they can't answer without giving, you know, a worldly perspective or, or a generic perspective. That's, you know, well, I feel like we need to make change. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, everyone feels like we need to make change. We're constantly looking to improve, but it has to go a lot deeper than that in order for you to connect with other individuals. And you have to get them to buy in, right? whether whether they're buying a product. Um, or whether they're buying into your values and, yeah. and your ideology. Um, it's it's always selling. Gosh, so, so good, man. You guys, I hope you understand how powerful that is to be able to articulate that, the why behind, you know, you guys, these guys sign the Apogee code when they first come in. And, and it's basically, it's kind of like those seven Bushido values of, you know, being an honorable man. Um, and that is part of that is meant meant to be a rooted foundation for because they don't all come from the same ideological backgrounds they don't all come necessarily from the same religious background but to have that rooted ideology that we can point back to and go well look here's the why you know sure. it is so important and it is something that we have definitely lost i was in um la a couple of days ago with brian callen and uh and we were talking about this very thing he says you know it's hard for me what he said was i'm not um, he says, I'm not a Christian man, but I have a lot of the same principles, ideologies, and values that you hold in Christianity. And he says, I don't like to see that religion has gone away as much as it has in our society, because what it at least did when we had that as a foundation for our families, it was, it allowed us to have a succinct way to go, look, here's kind of who I am and here's what I stand for. And he goes, I have a lot of those same values, but it's harder for me to express that and get people to understand that if they know I also don't come from a religious background, it keeps it kind of more esoteric. And so having that fundamental, so I know your faith is a big, is a big part of that. Is that something that was challenged for you at all, especially as you went into, you know, the, the Ivy League, you're at Yale, I know you said there's a bit of an echo chamber, but that you also had different beliefs there. Was the faith uh, a part of the echo chamber or was it more a part of the beliefs being, uh, you know, kind of challenged? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, you know, I went through this process my senior year in high school where I didn't really know what I believed. I was born and raised in the church, but I never really grounded myself in my faith. And, you know, I come, I come at things from a very logical perspective. Usually it's just my type of mindset. So when I started evaluating myself, I realized that I didn't, I didn't really have a good justification for why I believe what I believe. Um, and I actually went on a quest to solve that. So uh, it, I think at a certain point, just, you know, wanting to be a rebel as an 18 year old, which oftentimes we do, um, I was on a quest to prove that, that God didn't exist. And what I found was as I was going through 
you know, a lot of different books and a lot of different authors. And I pushed myself to study things I never could have fathomed understanding, like astrophysics, uh, apologetics, philosophy. Um, this broadened my horizon, not only academically, um, but it also helped me find myself and who I was. It actually pushed me back towards my faith. Um, now, when I was a freshman in college, I feel like after that grounding experience, I was prepared to actually take on new challenges, um, worldly challenges that were outside of myself. Yeah. Um, because that's, I go back to this principle again, but until you understand what you believe, you're not ready for a worldly challenge. You still have to figure yourself out. Right. Um, and you can't be doing both at the same time because no one's going to buy into someone that doesn't have, you know, principle to give. Right. Um, and when I got to the Ivy league, uh, it was a very shocking experience for a Southern kid that was born and raised in North Carolina. Uh, my entire life. I, you know, I found friends there, um, friends that oftentimes didn't see eye to eye with me on, on ideology, yeah. but we had healthy debate and it was a lot of fun. Uh, that being said, I realized how quickly you could be pigeonholed um, into thinking a certain way when you're surrounded by a massive group of people that tells you that you're right all the time, um, which is what I saw amongst a lot of my peers, because it goes back to this go along to get along mentality right. where you know, they're there to do something else, maybe outside of ideology. They could be focused on computer science. They could be focused on, you know, finance and going to work on Wall Street. Um, but they're so focused on that worldly desire that they don't really find themselves throughout the process, which creates a lot of trouble down the road. Um, and what I found is that, you know, once I was able to sort those things out, once I was able to actually, you know, figure out you know, what my ideology was, what, what, what are those principles that I wanted to hold near and dear to my heart? Um, I could take on new challenges that I might not have otherwise been prepared for. Um, and in politics, it's really important because you get attacked every day, but it's no different in, in really any other industry. I mean, when you're in business, you have competitors and they're coming after you every single day, right? Um, the only differences in politics, some people, it means a little bit more personal because it's you yourself. Yeah, right. Uh, right. But if, if you are grounded and you're ready to take that on, I mean, nothing can stop you. I mean, you just have to have a get up and go mentality. Um, which is what we do every day. And what I've found in my life, you know, it's just, you know, if you keep banging on the door, the door will open. Um, even if you don't feel like you have a contact, even if you don't feel like you have a connection, if you just wake up every day with a singular goal of something that you want to achieve, you'll be shocked how oftentimes you'll achieve the goal. Uh, and that's, I, I think that's something that a lot of people forget. People get discouraged really quickly. They want to quit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, that's why I've loved this campaign experience so far, because there are so many times where I look back and I'm like, oh, we thought we were dead to rights. Um, but we just kept working and kept working through it, kept finding new people. And you'll be stunned just how people come in your life that can really change things on, on dramatic scale, right? But it all has to do, it goes back to your work ethic and what you're willing to put into it. Um, but so I guess it's really two, it's really twofold. You have to ground yourself, you have to be principled, but then you have to find a goal that you want to achieve, right? It's so important to set goals. Um, and so when I was actually in high school, I had this big board on my wall. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote down a list of 10 goals. I think I've accomplished eight of them so far. Two of them I have not had the chance to do yet. But um, one of them I will never have the chance to do because it was get drafted. But I decided to go into politics instead of pursue a football career. Yep. Um, the other one was president of the United States, which I don't know how I'm going to get there, but it's going to be a long road. But that's, that's what we're aiming for. And the cool thing about that is that my political team understands that. So we can operate on a day-to-day -day basis like we're preparing for the future with that in mind. Um, yep. And it, when you, when you have a short term goal, that's easily achievable, oftentimes you'll lose sight of, you know, the overarching factor that is pushing you in the direction that you want to go. Um, 
So that's why I encourage young people, even if they seem lofty, even if they seem like they're unreachable, just write them down and think about them every single day. And it'll set you, I mean, it'll really just set you, it'll make you focused on what you have to do on a day-to-day basis to achieve something. So right? good. So, oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. We talk to these guys, we say it's fire aim ready. You, you're, you're going, like you have to go and you let that determine you're taking action, but you're letting that determine what doors are open, but it starts with that taking action. And I like that you've got these lofty goals. And again, those goals, those principles, that is the stuff that is rooting you so that every decision is filtered through that perspective. Like that's it. It makes decision-making so much easier when that is the case. And everybody else knows that too, because they stop at, you know, I always got, I went to, uh, I did my undergrad at Chico state university, which is well-known in California as being like the, the school to go to, if you're going to go party, right. It's going to be Chico state. It's also happens to be the number one recruited business school because there is so much of that social aspect. People who come out of there tend to be very, very social individuals and, and good at communicating and good at making relationships. Right. Um, but I went there and I've never had a drop of alcohol in, in my life still to this day at 42, 42. Um, I still, you know, have not, have not, uh, partaken in that and no offensive to anybody that has, it's just not anything I've been able to, that I've ever wanted to, uh, to try to tackle. So being at Chico state and not drinking was a weird, it was a weird thing. It was an anomaly for a while, but after a while people stopped asking, right? I got there and was like, Hey man, here, have a beer, have this, have that. And I'm like, man, I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't drink. After a while, people just know, and you become the, it's nobody even, nobody even asks you anymore if you want to drink. Cause they just know what you stand for and who you are. And it's the same thing when you've got that principle to give and you've done that consistently, the only conversations you end up having are going to be those things that move you forward because nobody's going to, it's like, man, I can't even, I can't even go to Bo and ask him this because he's just not going to budge, man. The man's too principled, you know, and that's ultimately where you want to be. No, I think that's super impressive. Um, Gentlemen, I've got um, uh, another quick question that I want to ask Mr. Hines, but I want you to go ahead and start putting your hands up. Uh, as well, and, and then um, I'll start bringing you guys, um, start bringing you guys into the mix. So as you started diving in, this is just more a personal curiosity. You started diving into, um, you know, philosophy and apologetics, and really figuring out who you were, what you stood for, getting yourself rooted. Um, I always love to ask, like, who who are the people that you liked to to read or to watch or to listen to? Yeah. So, I mean, challenging my own beliefs, I, I loved reading Dawkins. Yeah. Uh, I, I, remember, I mean, I love the four-headed horseman actually is, which if you guys don't know, those are like the most famous uh, atheist philosophers in the world. Um, but on the apologetic side, I love people like Norman Geisler and yeah. people like Frank Turek. Uh, they actually wrote a book called, I don't I have, have enough faith. faith to be an atheist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Frank is a close family friend of ours, but he also does a phenomenal job of connecting with young people that are exploring their faith. Yeah. Um, so it, those are just a few of the people that I've, cool. I've liked to, I could go on a, a long litany. But, yeah. Uh, very cool. Yeah. I, I, gosh, man, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is a, is a phenomenal book. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess there's one point I, I also wanted to make my, you know, my dad used to say this all the time to me when I was growing up is that you have to, you have to say no a thousand times to have one chance to say yes to success. And that's really I mean, it embodies what it takes to be successful. I mean, there's going to be so many people in your life influencing you in different directions. You know, you know, what's right, you know, what's wrong. And you have to say no to a thousand wrong things before you can say yes to success. Um, You're constantly going to be challenged. Uh, People are constantly going to be coming after you. 
and, and the higher you go, um, the bigger of target you have on your back. So you just have to be even more focused and dedicated to your craft and what you're doing. Yes, sir. Well said, sir. I love it. All right, Turner, you are up, sir. So guys, we're going to keep uh, keep in mind, we're going to honor Mr. Hines' time. So you guys have, um, you know, we got 34-ish probably uh, minutes. So we'll keep your uh, questions concise, please. Turner, you are up, sir. Okay. Thank you, sir, for being here. It's an awesome pleasure. My question for you today is many political people go in with good intentions, but later become corrupt. And what is your plan to stay incorruptible? Yeah, well... You're exactly right about that. Uh, that's one of the reasons that's encouraged me to run. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is surrounding yourselves with people that know you and don't view you as a title, right? So a lot of these guys, they get up there and they encompass themselves in these bubbles to where basically, you know, everyone kisses their feet and tells them how great they are. Um, and they think that they're invincible when in reality, you know, they're human beings, you know, they put their pants on one leg, one leg at a time, just like me and you do. Um, they, they, they just, they lose sight of, the reasons that they got there. And I think, you know, one thing we can do to fix that, and I'm not trying to go on a, on a stump speech here is I'm a proponent of term limits. I think that um, when you're in Washington, DC for 30 years at a time, uh, you, you really don't know what's going on in your community anymore. And I also think a lot of politicians lack imagination. I mean, you go up there, you learn so many different things. Um, why not take those back to your community and serve in a different capacity? Why do you have to have an office to feel like you're important? Right. Um, it, you, you can do incredible things in your community without being elected to a certain position. And I feel like if more of our politicians had that mindset, we'd actually have one, a cycle that's healthy for our country, um, fresh ideas, fresh voices, fresh faces, but two, we would have people that are actually dedicated to service. So I know it's a long winded way of answering your question, but I think it goes back to, you know, you are the company that you keep and when these guys get up there, there's a lot of grifters. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term. Um, there's a lot of consultants. There's, you know, ideological perspectives that are, are, are different and lobbyists and people pushing you everywhere. Um, the longer you stay there, the more susceptible you are to being entrapped. So uh, that's just that's what, what it boils down to in reality. Mm. Yeah, thank you, sir. Well said, sir. All right, Kaleo, you're up, sir. Sir, I was wondering. What skills have helped you most in taking you to the place you are today and helping you become the man you are today? It's a great question. I honestly, I think what's really allowed me to be successful in my young life is that I've always forced myself to do the things that I didn't want to. And I actually found myself doing this uh, in the gym when I was training for football. I realized that, you know, if there was an exercise I didn't like and I had that thought process in my head, and I recognized it, I would force myself to do that exercise until it was the thing I was best at. And I do the same practice in my life today. So now on the political side, um, unsurprisingly, we have to do a lot of fundraising. And that means I have to make cold calls all the time. So at the beginning of this process, I realized very quickly, I didn't love doing this because some people were not very nice to you on the phone. And I, I forced myself to get in the habit of, of doing it and, and learning how to be good at it. So I think if you can catch yourself shying away from something that you know is good for you, just dive into it and you'll find that not only will you become better at it, you'll start to like it as well. Man after my own heart. Man after my own heart. I love that. Malachi, go ahead, sir. All right. Thank you, sir, for being here. Uh, it's unfortunate I'm not old enough to vote or uh, <laughs> you would have mine. You will be um, soon. It was my fast. That's a true story. <laughs> um, so as I'm going through your website and you have all the um, – things that you want to get done, talking about free speech and Second Amendment. Um, 
what is the number one thing that you want to focus on right when you get in? Yeah, for me, that would actually be big tech. You know, I, I think that freedom of speech um, is the absolute cornerstone of our society and our republic here. And I think it's absolutely imperative that everyone has access to the public square. Um, or whether or not you, you agree or disagree with somebody, they have the right to voice their opinion. And I think when we start suppressing speech, we lose sight of who we are as a country, um, which is, you know, welcoming. It's, it's diversity, right? It's making sure that, you know, everyone has the opportunity to share their opinion on a matter. And it also allows us to explore the best options. So I, I don't want to get too deep into, you know, the nitty gritty of what's happening right now. But basically with big tech platforms that are censoring people left and right, um, it, it becomes a scary thing where they start creating their own echo chambers. And that becomes, you know, the new public square, which silences, you know, vast, I'm not going to say majority, but a vast number of American voices uh, that should have access to it. So um, I just think that's perilous for democracy. It's perilous for a republic. And so I know that, you know, myself and others in my class will be focused on addressing that as soon as we get to Washington. Thank you, sir. I look forward to seeing you. Beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. Parker, go ahead, sir. Thank you for coming on here. And my question for you is, in your opinion, what defines maturity? Um, I, I think maturity is defined by knowing who you are. Um, you know, I, I think that's a process that young people have to go through. I also don't think it's one that you should rush. And I know that sounds... Uh, you know, kind of counterintuitive, but it'll happen naturally so long as you're searching for it, so long as you're searching for truth. I mean, truth is the most important thing that we have. And I will say there is absolute truth and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There's also absolute right and wrong. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, there is not this gray area that exists. And if you live your life in terms of relativity, that is immaturity. Um, because you actually are not searching for, you know, the answer you're saying, I'm okay with not knowing. And I think if you're on a quest to know not only things about yourself, but absolute truths about the real world, then you're a very mature person and can accept the consequences of those. Right. Because oftentimes it's easy to shelter ourselves from the truth. Um, because we, we really don't want to abide by it. Right. Or we don't, we don't want to acknowledge it and how it affects ourselves personally. So um, if you can accept the truth, uh, even when it creates a negative consequence for yourself, that's, that's being extremely mature. Ooh, Ooh, I love that. And I, I love that you, you talk about the consequences of that too, because when we're talking about the absolutes, you guys talking about right and wrong. Um, there are, there are certain issues that are just black and white. And the reality is in a world that is now, you know, screaming um, tolerance, which we end up seeing is the most intolerant, uh, you know, thing of all, when you are willing to stand in that absolute truth, you are going to get pushback. We get, um, you know, I've had uh, publications that have contacted me and they want to know about what we're doing here with with Apogee. And then the next iteration of of this, we've got the mentorship program. We're creating Apogee U, um, which is going to be a pipeline that funnels towards male-run businesses that espouse the same kind of values and honorable um, concepts that we are talking about here in the program. And so people are already, okay, well, for we live in this patriarchy, right? And so why would you be, you know, adhering to this when you're, you're here helping male run company, all companies are male run. And um, I'm sorry, this is just for young men. Um, what happens if there is a woman who identifies as a man? Is she able to join? No, she's not. How intolerant is that? 
Well, no, it's it's completely tolerant. I'm I'm saying this is this is right, this is wrong. I will do anything in my power to help that young woman, but I will not play into a delusion. So there is always pushback that is that is there. What kind of uh, pushback have you gotten in some of your you know being able to stand for some of this these principles? Yeah, I mean, I think that you touched on one, um, yeah. but really, whenever you stand for truth, there are going to be people that come after you. Uh, whenever you stand for what's right, people are going to come after you because it threatens their false perception that what they're doing is justified. Right. So um, if you threaten someone's lifestyle or they perceive you threatening their lifestyle, they they start to attack. And I think that that also shows you when you're over the target. We always laugh on our team because whenever we're attacked uh, extremely hard, we're like, oh, well, obviously, you know, this this poked the bear. Yeah, this this right. got under their skin um, because they don't have a good argument back for it. Right. So, um, you know, it's one thing to explore and debate, especially on nuanced issues, because I think oftentimes it takes a long time to get to the truth. Uh, but some things, like you said, are just completely black and white. Yes, sir. And you can't be afraid to take a stand on those issues, even if it you know upsets people around you. Um, because if you continue to do that, it goes back to the question about what happens to politicians in Washington. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's not like one day they wake up and they say, oh, now I'm going to be an unprincipled politician that sells out my district and sells my soul uh, just to stay up here to you know maintain my position of power. They start sacrificing on little things and they justify it to themselves, right? So this happens over decades at a time. And then by the time they leave DC, they're a shell of who they once were when they got there. That's right. Um, so, I mean, this, this can happen to you in your personal life as well. It's not just politicians. So don't, don't say, and that's why we come back to this thing again, which I continue to harp on, find what your principles are and then don't, don't sell, don't sell them out. Don't sacrifice on those. Yeah. I'm not saying that no one can ever change your mind. If someone gives you, you know, a logical justification for why they believe what they believe and you get to think through it for a long time and decide, well, you know, I think that's actually a decent point. I might shift my position. That's okay. That's healthy. Right. But don't let that, you know, affect who you are and, and your principle itself. Just you have to be grounded in something. And that's why I'm going to continue to say that. Absolutely. No, well said, sir. I love it. Ethan, go ahead, sir. Thank you, sir. What's the hardest part about being a Republican politician? Um, well, the hardest part about being a politician in general is, is fundraising, uh, because that's basically our job. We're glorified fundraisers. To, to, I'll give you an example. To win a congressional campaign in North Carolina right now, uh, you're going to have to raise between six and eight million dollars. Um, that also means that there's basically laws in place that say, you know, an individual can only give you a maximum $5,800, right? So you have to cast a really wide net and you have to find a lot of people to fund your race around the country, which means you constantly have to be out on the road, constantly talking to people and constantly asking people for you know their hard earned dollar, which is not always the funnest thing to do. Um, but you have to train yourself to like doing it. And in terms of being a Republican politician, I think the hardest part is that we don't have the same platforms to you know get our voice out there as a lot of democratic politicians do. We have the mainstream media that fights against us every single day. Um, we have, we have big tech companies that attempt to silence things that we say, um, even if they are rooted in truth and we can back them up through even peer reviewed academic journal articles. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a different type of struggle today than it ever has been. And as we start to become more divided as a country, especially in ideology, uh, they feel more threatened. Um, and so we're in a cycle like this in 2022 and politics is very cyclical and it has been like this for a long time in our country. But there's a high likelihood that Republicans have an unbelievable cycle. And so the Democratic response to that is, you know, to basically silence, 
silence candidates, make sure that they cannot get their message out there, make sure people don't know who they are. And they attempt to do that in, in basically every form that they can. Um, and, you know, it's while it is frustrating, we find different avenues and we live in the greatest country in the world that sparks the most innovation and people find ways around it and they find ways to express their opinions. So I think that we'll be okay in the long run. Well said, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, Aiden. And then I know Benaya, you shot an email that, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, a message that your hand wasn't going to be able to be raised. So you guys are going to have the last two. So Aiden, you're up, sir. Thanks for coming on, Mr. Hines. I really do appreciate it. And you, you have a very interesting, a very unique perspective, specifically that you attended an, an Ivy League university, one that's historically been held in such high regard. And then even more specifically, even more unique is that you've come out of that institution and you still hold the values, you still hold those grounding principles that, that you so adamantly speak about through this. The, those have been retained, the, those have stayed intact. And what my question for you is, is for young men, young men of principle, young men of those founding, the, the, the founding documents that, that this country was founded upon who believe in that, do you still think that the, the pros of attending something like an Ivy League university outweigh the cons of having those, those values fractured? Oh, the, the, the pros certainly do not outweigh the cons. Um, I would honestly be skeptical uh, to send my children to an Ivy League institution today. You know, I, it was a great exploratory measure for me to take because now I understand what it's all about. And I'm thankful for the experience that I had, but you know, I'm not sure, and this is not you know, a self-aggrandizing comment, but because of the spiritual battle that I went through internally, which prepared me for that process, I'm not sure every young person goes through that in their life before they have the chance to go to college. And that scares me even for my own kids. You know, I felt like out of my control, I was prepared uh, to take on that battle, but I feel like a lot of 18 year olds are not. Um, and it can really shift the way that they think and they can find themselves leaving the echo chamber as another cog in the machine, um, which is something that I think is extremely dangerous for society. But the one thing that we always have to remember too, it's what our founding fathers did, is you always should question authority, right? You should be the biggest skeptic on planet earth. I mean, when someone tells you something is absolutely true, you should ask them why and ask them to justify it. And what you'll find is many people can't do that. And they just want you to accept their opinion as your own and move on. And they'll try to bully you and they'll try to intimidate you. And they'll try to tell you that, you know, you're, you're every type of ist or uh, ism that exists. Um, but in reality, that's not how the real world works. And a lot of these, you know, people that thrive in academia have never actually had to live in the real world. They've never journeyed outside of their comfort zone before. Uh, they don't know what a rural farmer believes in North Carolina, nor do they care to. Um, but you know, I know it's a long-winded way of saying no, but I do think that if you're prepared to take on that battle, then it can be a healthy experience because you're constantly going to be challenged. So I wouldn't steer people away from applying to those universities because in reality, you're going to be surrounded by very bright people that probably, you know, may or may not think differently than you, but are going to challenge you in other aspects of your life. So um, for conservatives out there, I would say absolutely. If you're ready to go and you feel like you can defend yourself, go ahead. It's going to prepare you for the world. Gosh, I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well done, sir. Yeah, I, you know, coming out of um, coming out being in education for so long and coming out of that and working on um, we, we create a film called No Safe Spaces. And I highly recommend it. it's on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen it, Bo, you, you want to want to check it out. And we talk about yeah, that. Uh, sounds great. To hear. Yeah, man. What was what's going on in the university level? And it's such a um, you, you speak very well to the realities that young people are going to are going to face going in. Um, Benaya, you have got the final group question, sir. 
Thank you, sir, so much for being on. I know this is a lot, you know, for a politician to sacrifice time to pour into young men, but we're very thankful. So, great question. I'm studying government right now. I'm a freshman, and I was curious what's the most important perspective, in your opinion, what's the most important perspective to have on our government system today? Um, the government can't, government cannot solve your problems. Government can only create them. Um, and I think that history, I mean, history shows this repeatedly. Um, and it's something that we've experienced in our young country's life already, which is that whenever government expands one, they're never going to give you the power that you forfeited back. And two, they're most likely going to make the situation worse. And I think if you look at government with that perspective, then you're probably going to be in a healthy place. And I think this boils down to society in general, right? Um, you have to take responsibility for yourself and your own actions. And not to say that there are certain people that you know, aren't brought into circumstances that certainly you know, provide more natural opportunity. But that being said, what it boils down to is, is what can I do to serve not only the people around me, but myself and growing and succeeding, right? And it's this it's almost like this group think mentality that a lot of people have towards government, which is, you know, I've been placed in this circumstance, uh, therefore someone needs to come and fix it. When in reality, the best thing you can do to fix your, your circumstance is look internally. And this is a problem that we've had for a long time in certain aspects of our society, but it also translates to how people view government and the role that it should have in, in their own life. Um, but what they find and what we have found is that when government does step in, uh, when, when government does basically play big brother, uh, there's no self-reliance ever created after that, which basically just perpetuates poverty. It perpetuates inequality, right? So we'll hear a lot of people talk about, we need equity. We do not need equity. Equity is a terrible thing. What we need is equal opportunity. And so there's a major divergence in, in two schools of thought when it comes to government is that, for example, I mean, how would you guys all like to have the same grade in your class, no matter how hard you study, right? I mean, that wouldn't be fair. But it's so long as you have the same test and the same study material, I think that's a pretty, pretty fair process. And so our goal, at least my goal, was to ensure that you know, there's an equal playing field where everyone's playing by the same rules, which I think doesn't necessarily exist now, but it's the, it's the best form of something like that that does exist in the world. So the question becomes, how do we protect that and fine tune the system? But going back to the, the, the overarching answer is, you know, don't trust government. Um, and, and I think our founding fathers told us this. That's why they created a system of checks and balances because they didn't trust government, right? Um, they would be appalled by the amount of government expansion that exists today. For example, if you're studying a pol you know, political system right now, you'll understand the executive branch um, really until the 1950s can, was comprised of only eight cabinet members, right? And now it's comprised of over 40,000 bureaucrats, maybe more, uh, which is just absolutely astounding. But it's, it's something that we have to look at and we have to, you know, cut down not only the, sky, the size of government, but also the scope and, and what their role is in the everyday life of, of Americans. I think the farther they stay away, the, the more prosperous we'll be. Mm. I love it. Thank you, sir. Great question. And, and, and I know we're getting ready to, uh, to be able to wrap up. I just have it from another, um, from a married man to a married man perspective. How does your wife deal with you being in the public eye, dealing with, um, you know, the good and the bad of, of this entire fight and all that you've got to do and being on the road and, and having to do the things that you're having to do. How is she, uh, how does she handle that? Oh, she's a champion. She's, um, you know, I call her a bulldog. She's, 
she's meaner than I am in this process. Yeah, she's ready to get that's out. Awesome. Ready to attack, and she's very grounded also in her beliefs. Um, she's a, a huge right to life person, uh, which has made her, you know, very encouraged about this process. Have a platform to work on those things, but um, really, we do a lot of things together. I mean, this is a, a family endeavor, and everyone in my family is out on the road attempting to help the campaign in some capacity, uh, which makes it also a lot of fun. You get to do things with people that you love. You get to work with people you love every day, um, which I would highly encourage you to do in in any industry if you have the opportunity to. But it's also been a great bonding experience for us. Just, you know, taking the lumps together. You know, we go through the highs together as well. We get to celebrate sometimes. We get to cry at each other sometimes. It's, it's, even though it's our first year of marriage, I'm still learning how to follow direction a little bit. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. (laughs) Good for you, brother. Good for you. That's exciting, man. Um, So thankful for you, man. Thankful for, uh, you know, taking the time, obviously, to pour into this amazing group of young men. Um, But, you know, more importantly, um, you leading by example and being uh, a good man. You know, again, that's anybody that is living that principled life and is not willing to compromise and is going to take that foot forward and exemplify leadership in that way is somebody that is on my team. And I appreciate that greatly. Um, we are going to obviously put this out to uh, the rest of the young men. We'll record that. We'll send that out to them this weekend. We'll release this as an episode uh, of the Essential 11 here in, in about a week. Um, but how else can we support you? Is there anywhere you like to send people? Is it to the website? Um, what can we do to, to support you and your cause and everything you're doing? Yeah. I mean, well, luckily we still have a presence on social media. So yeah. if you want to follow us there, um, most of our handles are either Bo Hines or Bo Hines NC. So for North Carolina, uh, feel free to follow us on there. Check out our website. We'll have newsletters and stuff going out. Um, if I can ever be of any assistance to you guys, feel free to reach out. My team will certainly relay the message and I'll do anything I can to help. Um, I'm super excited about what you guys are doing. Thank you for being attentive and the, the, uh, the questions were fantastic. So I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you all. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. Huge. Thanks. You guys, let's give a, a big thanks to Mr. Hines. All right. And I'll reach out to your team. Sorry. I got something that said that I want to send you to as a, as another thank you. So I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. There you go, man. Mr. Bo Hines. So check him out. Uh, go follow him on IG at Bo Hines. Check out his uh, campaign, bohines4nc.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, anytime we got a good person, I'm, I'm not worried about the political leanings, man. Good person doing good things and with good morals, good character, good work ethic. Uh, that's what we're all about here, man. And, and I can't help but support that. So speaking of support, thank you for supporting what we are doing here. If you have not already uh, left a rating, left a review, you would absolutely love if you would do so uh, and continue to share and let people know what we're doing here with the essential 11 and and, uh, with these young men here at apogee strong thank you for all your support see you guys later